I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And you're tuned in to listen to our podcast. This week, listen to our podcast, or we'll shove your hand into a tree hole. Hey, Peter. How's it going? Hey, man. Doing well. We just watched a movie that I was pretty apprehensive about watching, and I'm really happy that we did, because it was a blast. Yeah, it was amazing. And <laughs> I, I, I'm i the one that suggested it, and I had never seen it before. Peter had never seen it before. I was kind of expecting, oh, this will be goofy. This will be fun. I didn't realize that this was going to blow my pants off. <laughs> There's like kind of a fun thing that happens when you're watching something that you know absolutely nothing about, but is like so gung ho about itself. Yeah. Um, I was like, I was like, is he a superhero? <laughs> is he an everyman? Is he like an Indiana Jones type who's like sometimes badass and sometimes kind of stumbles his way through stuff? Like, what what is Flash Gordon? Which is like speaks to a huge generation gap between this property yeah. and the eighties movie and the original property. Yeah, and and also, I mean, this this movie changes so rapidly. We're, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but suffice to say, this was this was a very strange movie where probably for the first twenty minutes or so, I was like, this. There was some stuff there to like, but it was a lot of really uh, goofy stuff, and it was very eighties and very cheesy. And it was like, okay, this is going to be a goofy, fun movie. And then at some point, uh, very early on, it switches to just being fucking legitimately amazing. And then it stays there for the rest of the movie. You know, and I can see why in the context of, like, 1980, this movie would be rejected by both, like, critics and mainstream audiences. Actually, the critics, uh, not not to do the thing where I'd uh, call you a liar and a uh, charlatan on the air, no, but... No. But I was surprised that no, the dude, yes, yes, and means you never tell me I'm wrong. Oh yes, yes, and never means, <laughs> uh, and being drunk never means having to say you're sorry, uh, or being drunk means never having to say you're sorry. But it was it was actually eighty. I mean, it's Rotten Tomatoes, so there's a lot of stuff that's not getting factored in. But thirty six reviews, and it's like at eighty six percent. Is it really? That see, that huh. shocked me because I had assumed that this had been poorly received. It barely made back its box office, but. We're going to get into that. The first thing we'd like to do is welcome you to listen to our podcast. The majority of you probably have not heard heard us speak before, and we wanted to give you a quick kind of rundown of what we're trying to do on this podcast. Now, there was a, another special secret episode that if you paid $500,000 to our Patreon accounts, uh, you got special secret access to, to an episode. But since, obviously, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, you decide not to support us in that way, you know, it, it hurt, but we should still probably introduce ourselves to yeah, you. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I'm not being valued as an artist, but yeah, yeah, go ahead and take the free stuff, you know, enjoy it, take the free model. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you feel comfortable with as a person. Um, yeah, if you can sleep at night, then fine, yeah, enjoy the free stuff. It's 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 fine. You you do what you do. It makes you feel happy. I'm sure you walk by Salvation Army people. With You're their, like, oh, I gave. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I gave. S- sorry, Santa. <laughs> uh, no quarters for you today. 
Yeah, so let's. Uh, I'm going to let you start. Actually, let's. Why don't you go into kind of what we're trying to do here, what our philosophy is, what we're looking to talk about, and I'll I'll jump in when you start saying stupid stuff or something. I don't know. Yeah, just like get ready, have your, your finger on the button because it's going to happen. So I'm listening to our podcast. The goal of the show is not a bad movie podcast, like we hate movies or something, where we try and find something to shit on. Um, we look for the good in everything and try and uh, enjoy everything and approach movies on their own terms. So I think that so far our goal has been to take on both uh, sort of lowbrow and highbrow stuff and take them with the same level of, of seriousness, which is, and also to assume that um, director intent and creator intent in general doesn't really matter to the final product if the final product is a blast. With this movie especially, it's it, to some people it might come off as a cynical sort of post-Superman, post-Star Wars movie, but to us, especially separated by time, it really, really worked well, and we want to judge it for what it actually accomplished, not for what sort of uh, uh, baggage was put on it. So I think that's that's uh, central to what we're trying to do here. I t- obviously, I totally agree with everything that Peter just said. I will clarify that when he said that uh, what we've tried to do, since he just referred to this in past tense, and this is our first episode, he is speaking theoretically of stuff we've discussed doing that we're planning to bring to the future. So, yeah, we're we're trying to do that. We're we're trying to we're trying to kind of introduce each other to stuff, both stuff that we both movies or uh, music or films that we haven't seen, movies or something or a piece of art that one of us has seen and the other one hasn't seen. And also going back, you know, we have some ideas for some guests later on. We have some ideas for kind of a nostalgia check where we can go back to stuff, pieces of art that we haven't seen in years and years and years that we used to love and kind of see how they hold up and potentially even introduce uh, the, the, the particular item to the other person. So we have a lot of ideas for the show. Um, we kind of imagine it changing and evolving is the way all all pieces of media do as we kind of get it under our belt. Um, you know, we may decide at some point that we just like talking about toes and then the podcast becomes Toe Talk. Um, toe Talk. Yeah. The Toe Bros. The Toe Bros. I mean, it's already starting to sound really good. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I don't want to talk about Flash Gordon anymore. I just want to talk about them. Sweet, sweet toes. Sweet, sweet toes. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We'll appreciate any feedback that you guys have, what what you think that we can do, any suggestions you have for movies or video games or music or anything that you think would be worth us talking about as you kind of get to know us as a host. So, and like like Peter said, or like I, not like Peter said, like I said, feel free to contribute to our Patreon accounts. Uh, if you do uh, find us on Patreon, let us know because we haven't set one up. So someone is stealing our identity. Uh, so actually, don't don't give us money, but just let us know about it, and we'll try to take over those accounts. Yeah, uh, if anyone's collecting money on our behalf, we would love to get a chunk of that. Yeah, uh, if that person who's stealing our identity, industrious young person, and uh, we'd like to have them on the show. Yeah, if that person is listening, whoever's stealing our identity, uh, yeah, let us know. Uh, reach out to us. Uh, also, if they have any feedback or suggestions for the show, that would be welcome yeah if you if you think you can be a better aaron you know (laughs) let me because you're already taking my name yeah i mean let me know what you would do as me or what you are doing as me let's let's just have a quick chat and i'll decide (laughs) if you know maybe you'd be a better host than a real aaron because i 
I, I, I don't know how you could do any worse. Yeah, I, it's it's my constant stuttering, my saying things and like. It's, it's a problem. Um, the anti-Semitism that I constantly have to cut out. Yeah, I mean, you've yet to edit an episode. Again, we've had no episodes, but you've also yet to edit one. I'm doing sort of like an oral uh, editing. I just start yelling really loud over you whenever it's happening. <laughs> I see, ah, cough, cough. <laughs> That's when you start cracking beers and stuff really loudly into the mic. Aaron's going on one of his rants again. Uh, anyway, we did mention earlier that... Um, I guess not that long ago, because the podcast has essentially just started. But we did mention that we had recorded a tester episode. We have a Google Doc, you know, kind of outlined some of these ideas for the show and stuff. And I, I noticed that Peter had uh, wrote some notes yeah, about our first show into the Google Doc. You know, we want to be really transparent with, with our audience. So I thought it might be fun to kick off the show to kind of go over uh, some of the notes that Peter wrote and you know, kind of share share what uh, what he think how he thinks the show's going, because Peter's not just a host; he's an audience member. So the first thing you have in here, Peter, is we need a fucking name. Now, I think in terms of feedback, that's pretty strong. I mean, we have a name. I I actually read this since we have a name for the podcast. I, I read this as like we need a fucking name, like a name for fucking. <laughs> we need a fucking name. Yeah, a fucking name. Fucking is inadequate. Yeah. Like, we need a different name for the act of making love to another human being. I feel like fucking is very crude, and lovemaking sounds a little too much like uh, old people with gray hair on uh, HBO's Real uh, real Sex. Yeah. No, it's... People who kind of smell bad, but they're very proud of their bodies, just kind of making love. And I want to cut the difference between that and fucking. Okay, so do you have some su- other suggestions, or are you just going to criticize? Yeah, you know, smush mush. That's it. Okay, well, I will tell you, I'm going to have some interesting notes about this show, and I'm going to put it in right now. It says, Peter needs better suggestions for his own ideas. <laughs> some sort of committee to review things before they come out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, editing can only do so much. You're Most really people's s- brains do that, but I'd like to outsource it. To, to a committee? <laughs> so, so like, if someone asks you how the weather is, it'll be like, I'm going to get back to you in 20, 30 minutes. I'm convening uh, the head of state of my committee to go I, over their thoughts. They actually haven't even approved me to say that much. They just said, um, I, I just have to lean in and press on the microphone and go, I do not recall. <laughs> well, and for the listener, I mean, you can't tell because of all the editing, like we said, but... Um, every time I say something, it's followed by 30 minutes of silence, and then Peter jumps in with his response. So that's really why we have to communicate in this podcast format, because otherwise, I mean, it's just unlistenable. That's true. It's true. I mean, also, that's why we, we would record every day, but we have to have the week between just to <laughs> purely downtime between you asking me questions and me just not trusting my own brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's so much. Um, so the next thing on here is the theme song should be cut separately and inserted to sound more professional, which, uh, you know, it's a good note. and We should sound professional. We're professional people, but I did not start the podcast doing it that way. So how? what are your thoughts on that? I think that, frankly, when I first heard the episode, I was embarrassed and appalled. And I, I, no, I mean this episode. I crash immediately. 
I mean, this episode, I did not do that for episode you two. Not, either. You did not do it this episode either. And I was like, I was like, you know, he had a lot on his mind. He had to find the Flash song by Queen. Because <laughs> fucking Queen did the soundtrack to this movie. Yeah, actually, and let's, you know, what we should have said at the onset is that we actually have theme music picked out. And then both of us independently were like, this fucking music in this movie is so good. Even though this is our first episode in our attempt to introduce listeners to our style and to get them to uh, familiar with what we're doing, let's totally undermine that episode one because Queen rocks. <laughs> and, and it was something that like completely cut through because the music is such a big part of this movie. And I was like, for a second, I was going to suggest that we that we make the Flash song start a normal theme song. And then I realized that this would be uh, just to lead people to believe that this is just a Flash Gordon podcast. <laughs> and um, we could use a different song. You know, there, I mean, all the, all the instrumentals, there's that one um, awesome guitar one. Although, yeah. although like all the songs on the soundtrack, because I did download the soundtrack very quickly after seeing this movie, uh, they're all interspersed with dialogue. So... It still may be very confusing to people. It's a really weird thing. Like, I remember downloading the Dead Man soundtrack. Yeah. And being very confused and annoyed that it had uh, all the great songs from the music, or from the movie, but, like, intercut with um, lines from the movie and William Blake poetry inserted, which I guess those are hand-in-hand hand because the movie quotes a lot of William Blake. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I just want the, like, soundscapes of this creepy, weird West. I don't want to, like, <laughs> feel like I'm walking through the movie again. If I want to watch the movie, I watch the movie. Yeah, that's, uh, there's a few soundtracks that do that, and it's usually, it's usually very, very annoying. The Antichrist soundtrack especially. I mean, I, I do not need to hear, while I'm listening to the soundtrack, you know, someone's dick gets smashed in with a rock. <laughs> it's a very distinct noise. Yeah, it's, and it only happens once in the movie. It happens 300 times on the soundtrack. <laughs> Actually, a song that's a song that's just using that as percussion. Yeah, it's like a it's like a weird sadist provocateur version of Tilly and the Wall, where it's yeah. just instead of tap dancing, it's just ball smashing. I mean, I, I know that Lars likes to do his little. Uh, I'm going to play with the audience, but you know, I paid nine ninety nine for the soundtrack. It seems like too much. So, so the next thing on this list is, and this one I kind of want to talk to you about because. Uh, this is this is this oh is the boy. this is the intervention about your lack of self confidence, and that is Peter needs to make less mistakes. It's frankly embarrassing. Now that's something that's maybe maybe people think that about themselves sometimes. Y- you put it in a shared document and wrote your own name as Peter. <laughs> so I needed I needed the. Uh... The third person, the third person uh, uh, role playing to uh, talk shit about myself. Yeah, you needed some omniscience, in, <laughs> an omniscient narrator, so it felt like this wasn't just coming from you. This is what the document yeah, it, thinks. <laughs> it, it, it made it more official, you know, because I talk shit about myself all day long. Yeah. Uh, so on line one, we have uh, your childhood psychologist. No, <laughs> we're gonna work through some issues. Um, I'm kidding. We just text. We haven't talked. Uh, me and your psychologist. Um, what if this were secretly? What if we uh, we made this into a podcast that starts off like a movie podcast? Like we're tackling genre movies, we're taking them on, and and then when people get on the podcast, we just turn it into like an ambush intervention type thing. We're like, <laughs> I think that could be fun. I think that could last one episode. Um, <laughs> Before people know the concept of the show. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to tell all guests. We'll never advertise the podcast, and we'll tell all guests that it's the first episode. Oh my god, 
that. It'd be kind of great if there was a podcast that just like did what does what Netflix does, where they just release like fifty episodes at once, and some comedian just like burns through his social group, <laughs> doing a like a, a, basically making a Mark Mark Maron's "What the Fuck" sound like a walk in the park, but it's just relatively, it, like it, it's just an ambush. <laughs> people love people love being ambushed. There's. Yeah, no, everyone likes being surprised with all of their personal challenges and foibles uh, in a public setting. I don't know about you, but I'm, like, ready for introspection at all points in the day. The moment I wake up in the morning, the moment before I go to bed, I am ready to be uh, torn open and inspected. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, I think we may have just come up with an idea for the series finale. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, where... We can do it to me, too. We'll just bring ex-girlfriends, people who, like, friends we lost, and our parents, because they'll have something negative, probably, to say. (laughs) Probably to the level of people that we've emotionally harmed. And we'll just bring them on, and uh, we'll discuss uh, 1987's Masters of the Universe. Um, (laughs) Wink. The last one is, cut out the I've said this shit before... Oh, no, sorry. Cut out the I've said this before shit... No more. It, it is a little. It is a little irritating listening to it from trying to put on your 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 um your outsider audience ears and being like, these are two friends who clearly have talked a lot, and I feel like I'm joining the conversation very late. Yeah, and I've said this before, but I think it kind of builds a sense of uh, camaraderie and a feeling that we that we know each other, and I would not worry about it too much. And yeah, that's true. and actually, I, I I agree with you. I just said that, so I could totally undermine your point by saying I've said this before at the beginning. You are truly a sadist. So let's get into it. So I want to start with just why I picked this movie. Peter and I are obviously uh, we watch a lot of movies, and one thing that happens when you watch a lot of movies is you have these movies that you never actually watch, but you constantly are aware of little things about them from people referencing them in movie discussions, from other movies. Uh, this this movie especially is, is featured pretty heavily in the movie uh, in Seth MacFarlane's TED. And, and I used to work at a video store too, so I could have, even not having seen the, case, the VHS case to this movie... 15 years, I walked by it for three straight years, and I could probably draw it from memory. And also, I'm familiar with the backstory of how this was the movie uh, that George Lucas wanted to make, or, or a Flash Gordon movie is what George Lucas wanted to make, and when he couldn't make get the rights, that's when he uh, made Star Wars. I do think it's weird to be so exposed to a movie in a lot of ways over 20 years and have never actually seen it. And I think that's common for a lot of movies. And there's even times where, and maybe this happens to you too, Peter, you just are so hyper aware of a movie that sometimes you forget that you haven't seen it. You know, someone will be like, oh, have you seen this? And for a split second, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, wait a second. No, I'm just, I know the plot or I know X about it. And then, but but you have to almost step back and go, I've, ne- I've actually never, <laughs> I've actually never sat down and watched this movie which became really illuminating when I actually dove into this movie and I realized that I knew absolutely nothing about Flash Gordon and actually had a lot of weird misconceptions about it. Yeah, um, and that that was actually my experience too, which was not what I was going for. I thought, here here's something that I'm going to recognize a lot of points from, and it turned out I knew fucking nothing about this movie. Yeah, I even thought, like, okay, so 
straight off the bat. I didn't realize that it was a reaction to Star Wars. I thought it was a straight up superhero movie, which it's not really a superhero movie at all. Not being super well versed in comic books and not being a child of the 80s definitely made this property totally alien to me. Uh, no pun intended. And so diving in, I was just like, what is this thing? Like, it, he comes on screen wearing a shirt that says Flash on it. People, he, he's, he, let's, let's, let's start. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get, the yeah, let's get, let, let's, yeah, let's get started. And it starts with uh, Ming the Merciless, and you don't know it's him yet. He is the, uh, he's the Darth Vader, he's the villain, uh, and, and he really is the Darth Vader. Um, and I said this before, but George Lucas had wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. When he couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, he made Star Wars. And this movie, even though it came after Star Wars, is very, very, very similar to Star Wars. You can really see the DNA of Flash Gordon in Star Wars in a way that I never would have guessed those two are related, even knowing that story. Yeah, and I was obviously way too young to know... Um... Like like we said, in the time, it might have been very obvious that this was a sort of follower to the series. It's also a follower to Superman in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it, there was no way for me to know that this was both, an ins- like, as a property, an inspirer of Star Wars and inspired by Star Wars. It's kind of an interesting concept that I, I think I don't, I've never heard before in relation to Star Wars, at least. To get into it, though, so at the very beginning is the is the voiceover of Ming the Merciless, who is talking to someone, and he's saying that he is sending all these disasters to Earth, and, and you see all these buttons of uh, different disasters that he can do, like tornadoes, hurricanes, stuff like that. And, and then you see that there's, like, he's pressing these buttons, and buildings are collapsing on Earth, and all this other stuff. So the one thing that he did have, though, so he has hurricanes, earthquakes, meteor shower, throw some pieces of the moon at Earth. The one I wanted to talk on, though, was hot hail, which... I, I, I noted that, too. What the fuck is hot hail? I think it's steam, right? Like, hot <laughs> hot hail would just be steam? Yes. Based on how transient properties hot work? Hot hail is thought, thought hail, which is steam. Like, I get if it was, like, metal shards or something, like, but if hail is made of... I don't know. Why is it not, like, super cold hail? And, like, when it hits you, it, like, hurts you, like, a... Uh... Or fire hail or something, yeah. but, like, hot hail. Like, I've touched pans that are hot. It doesn't kill me. Hot hail is just water. Yeah, hot hail is just... it's Well, it depends. It's either water or steam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it depends it, how hot. It, it doesn't say how hot. Uh, also, like... Well, I and I thought that they had There's no um, adjustment knob for temperature on this hot hail button. No, it's just it's just a flashing button. And I thought, okay, they had run out of ideas on hot hail. Fine, let's move on until when it fades out into uh, the theme song and the credits. It stops. It goes back and then stops on hot hail, and that flashes on the screen for like. 10 seconds. So not only was it not like a weird oversight that they ran out of ideas, they were fucking proud of coming up with hot hail. And they lingered on that one longer than any of the other ones. I like to think the editor was like, what the fuck is hot hail? This is going into the the opening montage. Yeah, like he had warned them. He's like, I told him it was stupid. You don't think it's stupid? You know what? I'm drawing so much attention to it. And then, and, and then it does. Or I go- think like Mike, Mike, maybe Mike 
Hodges was in the editing booth, like just, just his hands on the shoulder of the editor, like we're gonna make this movie dumber. <laughs> yeah, we we want to amp amp it down. That's a, that's that's technical term, uh, technical term for making it dumber. Amp it down. Amp it down. I've never heard that one. Well, I just it's really useful. Yeah, I just made it up. Oh. <laughs> Not useful anymore. No, just well, we can start it. This'll be and we have we have evidence that I coined it, so that's yeah, what like smush mush. You didn't coin that, Peter. Mm-hmm. No. I think it's from Futurama. Is it? I don't watch Futurama. Oh, okay. Well then then a big part of one of my points about this movie later is gonna go right over your head. But <laughs> um, it'll be for anyone else but me. Yeah. Then it goes to the theme music, which you heard at the onset of the show. And the only reason I'm stopping, we're not going to go through the movie point by point, but I have so many notes about the music in this movie, we might as well just plant here and talk about it. Alright, so one thing I want to say about the fact that it is fucking Queen is that Queen only did two soundtracks. They did this in Highlander, which is another um, great 80s cult movie that uh, I think that and Flash Gordon are irrevocably improved by queen's inclusion because they just go it it, it adds this sort of not just like glam rock fun to it but also this sort of operatic epicness that's really fun like it's just like a a blast of a theme song and a blast of music (laughs) kind of remarkable on the flip side of that because they were they kind of reined in their instincts to go to 11 with every song like they were like okay not every song can flash. Ah. Like yeah. they had, they like rang it in and made some like atmospheric setting music and scarier music, like kind of admirable. Yeah, and when they went to eleven, they went to eleven. I would, I would almost, I would almost say twelve. I know that's technically impossible, but there's that battle scene at the end where it's just, it is so get you pumped guitars that it almost seems like a parody of get you pumped. It's, it's so big. And so amazing. So chaotic that, yeah. like, I don't think it would work without something that big and bombastic. Yeah, it never. I will say it never didn't work. Anytime the Flash Gordon theme came in, it was always. I have so many notes interspersed that are just fuck yeah, Queen. Because <laughs> and and I'll tell you what, I would have liked this movie maybe more if I could have gone for all two hours with just the Flash Gordon theme playing underneath it. I don't think I ever would have got sick of it. Um, I like I like that they kind of rein it in, and they, they do like some minimalist sort of sort of uh, low synth beats. Like, yeah, every movie, every eighties movie does that. Right off the bat, the movie is letting you know that it has like sort of spark and personality that is not in all these movies. Like, I almost I almost wonder if we're getting gas gas lit. Um, because uh, that just the Queen, that these movies, both Highlander and um, Flash Gordon are terrible, but the Queen music's so good that you just get totally cognitive dissidents. And Dude, like in Highlander, there's a scene where like Christopher Lambert is not a good actor. Like He works in the movie a lot of times because of the soundtrack. Yeah. Like When there's a scene where he's supposed to be sad, staring off at like the Scottish countryside. Who, and the, the who Wants to Live scene. Forever? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That song wouldn't work, or sorry, that scene wouldn't work half as well if you were just looking at sad Christopher Lambert staring off <laughs> in a mountain. Because he's not, I mean, like, he always kind of looks like a sad puppy dog, but, like, it doesn't, it, would, it, it wouldn't have that sort of operatic sadness that um, that it has. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, and, that's, and that is the power of Queen. Um, and actually, ev- so even though I agree with you on the 
that the soundtrack does, you know, from a movie perspective, work better. I still, if, if someone out there knows how to cut a version of this that just has the Flash Gordon theme playing underneath it for two hours, I'm into that too. It, yeah. won't, it won't replace it, but if you have a fan edit that you want to send my way, I'm in. Yeah, it has a sort of infectious quality that when it goes away from the movie, I'm just like, Oh, I want Queen to keep amping me up. Yeah, you're like it, it gives you that little like the little endorphin rush, and you're like, oh, that was amazing. Yeah, they only, they only scored two movies, and both of the movies are better for it, which I think speaks to Freddie Mercury's genius. Uh, they really elevate anything that their music's a part of to kind of a ridiculous level. To be honest, yeah. they they yeah. were they were too good. Yeah, uh, Queen stuff is so well constructed. Even if they did just, like, shut this soundtrack off in a week, it does not sound like it because Freddie Mercury doesn't know how to make, like, truly bad music. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. I, you know, I'm surprised we limited Queen Talk to five minutes or ten minutes, but... It, it we felt, would have just... We would have kept dragging it out, like, throughout the course of the movie. It would just be constant. I And I did honestly think about just every once in a while just playing the, the theme song throughout the podcast... Uh, when you were speaking, but I decided to not do that. But just know, I may I may do that for other podcasts, Unre- unrelated to Flash Gordon. <laughs> unrelated, I love it. So, um, being the merciless is a Asian stereotype. <laughs> this whole deal is pulled from the source material of Flash Gordon, and so it's and and, and centuries where... of racism. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's one of those movies where you're like, okay. You're going to make an adaptation of Flash Gordon's most famous villain, I'm guessing. Because I don't know that much about Flash Gordon. I'm, <laughs> I, I just know, like, peeking back. It might be his only villain like, for all we know. Villain. Yeah. It's the one that people know, yeah. right? The people that know what Flash Gordon is, you know, um, 80-year-old people and people that were that saw this movie in the 80s. They uh, know um, Flash Gordon as a property where it's like Flash, who was a polo player, apparently, in the original the original source. Uh he fights this guy Ming the Merciless and you're like you know since it's like 1980 they're gonna go with Ming the Merciless you know there's a pretty decent chance they're not gonna actually cast an Asian actor and then they cast Max von Sydow who's a guy who I like I love yeah like if you've seen Seventh Sign or you've seen you mean, you mean the Seventh se- se- seven like, Seal Seventh Seal sorry Seventh Sign is a is a, 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 a porn like, movie right horror movie right okay and uh, he, uh, him getting cast is like, oh yeah, no, so you love like Minority Report, his later movies, and he was just in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Like you love this old, awesome, dignified actor. And first, and it, there's huge swaths of the movie where he's such a powerhouse of an evil villain mm-hmm. that you forget that he's playing an Asian stereotype. Yeah, um, that's you know, for for every person who complained about how the Mandarin was portrayed in Iron Man three, if you if they didn't do it that way, this is what you get. Th- this is one of the there's there's kind of two things about this movie that made me uncomfortable and kind of took away from the general awesomeness. And and this 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 was one, yeah. And he's great. He's absolutely great in the role. And you know, looking back, he got tons of he. I mean, he got amazing reviews for his performance because all the thought that you just gave about or we're making Flash Gordon, and of course we need to cast his main villain. You know, you, you, in the way that you just described it, you made it sound like, okay, we have to do this, but it's going to be tough. That was the inflection of your voice. I guarantee that didn't happen in 1980. It's just, yeah, he's an Asian guy. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to give it to this white guy who we like. 
I mean, they um, cast John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Yeah. So, like, I don't think Hollywood was too concerned about this in 1980. Yeah, it's, it's, it's t- you know, there's no way to say that it's not sometimes tough watching it. But, you know, it's it's... It's one of those unfortunate things that, you know, the movies that we think are pretty progressive now, um, I actually would hope that 50 years from now or 30 years from now, people watch those and are and go, oh, my God, why did they think this was OK? Because it's always good when society is moving in a forward direction. I mean, it's you, you go back a certain amount of time, even sometimes five or ten years, and you just it, it's just something you have to to deal with as an appreciation of movies and TV shows. There's just no... Yeah, and I'll say two things on that. One is that you have to take stuff from their time, and you have to sort of understand it of its time and not just single out every single movie as like a culturally as culturally regressive because like the, the clock moves so fast. Yep. And then the second thing I'll say on that is that I forgot about the Ming the Merciless stuff for most of the movie because... I don't think it's pulling from any sort of Asian stereotype. Yeah, it's just it's just the eyebrows. He's got the, Asian, he's got the yeah, the eyebrows and the mustache, but he's not doing an Asian voice. Yeah, thanks. His, that that would have that would have been tough to take, I think. Yeah, but he's yeah, ju- yeah. he's just doing. I think he even has an English accent. It's you forget about it pretty quickly. But you know, it's not, yeah, it's not promoting any sort of like negative stereotypes, really, except for that there's an Asian character played by it. And it's like, even if he was a progressive portrayal of an Asian person, yeah, it's not even really a portrayal of an Asian person. It's like a white dude with a British accent who has a Asian facial hair and an Asian name. Yeah, and, and his in his guard, he's he's an emperor. His guards look vaguely inspired by like Chinese, like a uh, medieval warriors. Yeah, but he it's not like promoting any sort of like negative view of Asians. So it's like easy to forget. It's just funny whenever anybody calls him Ming, you're like, that's an Asian name. And that's Max von Sydow wearing a comically racist uh, mustache. Well, and he um, actually, let's, let's save that a little. Well, actually, you know, let's, let's, let's not save that. So one thing that we should chase, we should chase stuff as a Yeah. 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 I agree. So one thing that is weird about his character, though, for the for the big bad of this movie, he sort of he sort of recedes it. Like the main plotting is done by his second in command, and I wasn't ever quite clear who that other uh, woman was. Like, it's not his daughter, is it? It's his general, right? The woman wearing dark. Yeah. Dark colors and a well, gold sort of like sun. Uh, Sun frilly uh, headband kind of thing. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, um, we should really learn names. <laughs> I should really uh, learn how to describe anything. Um, she, has but... a, she has a fan sort. She's a sort of like a fan like headdress on that's uh, gold, and she's wearing a lot of black. And she's commanding the like in the movie. She's commanding forces around. So I think she's a general and maybe related. oh, General Kala. That's her yeah. name. I, I pulled up the. I figured this will be good anyways for our discussion to have the Wikipedia page because I am terrible at remembering names. So her and General Clytus, they were kind of the main schemers throughout this movie. Ming, his entire thing after a little bit was like, uh, "I'm gonna, I'm just, I just want to fuck this girl from Earth. You guys do your thing. Whatever's going on, kill this person." Like I was actually surprised, even though he's he's very he's very good. Or Max Max von uh, Sydow is 
is very good in his portrayal. He really, the back half of this movie, I was kind of surprised at how much he recedes into the background. And I was also surprised at uh, how many times he has costume changes. He's a man of drama. Yeah. He, and I think that I like that he kind of recedes to the background because it, it, it um, helps sell his sort of like his uh, global insidiousness where he has like tendrils everywhere. He has ears everywhere. And like you can kill his second in command and not get any closer to him. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that, uh, that, that part of the movie that he kind of is allowed to exist as a concept at certain points, parts of the movie. Yeah. I, I kind of, he just was, you know, he was such a good force in the movie that it was weird that he just would kind of show up. I thought, in random places at the end to be like, oh yeah, no, keep torturing my daughter. Or that's kind of how I, Vader is too, right? I mean, like Vader isn't in most of Empire Strikes Back. Well, in Empire, but you know, this this is really it, it, this felt more like Star Wars to me. And Vader is a pretty big, even though he's not the boss. I guess Grand Moff Tarkin in that movie would be, but um, he's like the he's like the figurehead boss. Like you know, if they take down Vader, they can win this war. Yeah, but he, right? yeah, like, but he but he's still the mover and shaker. I mean, he's still going and uh, interrogating Leia. He's you know getting into the Tie Fighter to do stuff. I don't know what his I don't know what Ming's screen time is for the last hour of this movie, but some of that also might be because Max von Sydow is like a real fucking actor, and like he he might have like. They, they might have only had the budget to afford him for a period of time. You don't know. But, you know, to, to talk about what's on screen, it was a little disappointing. You know, I, I don't have that many criticisms of this movie. And we're going to probably spend the the back half of this podcast talking about how fuck You know, I could just say, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. And that could be most of this podcast. But one of my disappointments was how much it... it and may, maybe it was just my... Um, impression but it really felt like he he kind of takes a step back in the in the second half of this yeah and, but in the first half he uh, he makes his presence known pretty much right away with his uh his uh sort of booming voice over the uh the intercom and he's launching attack so do you want to yeah let's let's go into so let's, let's i, I get into the plot so we don't we don't spend all night just talking about this movie kind of vaguely uh, yeah and i definitely want to talk about the first part because so the start of this movie is kind of telling you who Flash is in that he's on people. So so Flash is at an airport and he gets into a private plane. There's one other person in it and that, that person is uh, named Dale. And she was at the hotel with him the night before. And they're going somewhere. She's a travel agent. And they get in the plane. And this is where this is this is kind of going to be the theme of the other besides the Ming and the racism stuff. This was the other problem with the movie, which is, but I but I will say it's a problem with all eighties movies that like men are allowed to be crazy stalkers and no one bats an eye. You know, I, I think overall it, it does it is just a generational thing that like. <laughs> Now we're all very conscious of it, but like at the time, we were fine with women being these sort of like subservient, weak-willed women that would faint at this first sign of contact, right? But like, I, I think that the movie holds up pretty well on that on that front, actually. Well, but he that, but he like says a- he says to her, I know they're trying to quickly get out pleasantries and and get to know the characters before they get into all the good stuff, but he says to her like, Oh yeah, I was watching you last night. You're that travel agent. Yeah, I was. You know, she doesn't know who he is at all, and he knows quite a bit about her. And it's weird. 
weird because like they're I I couldn't tell. Okay, so right off the bat, we're introduced to Flash and Dale. We're not even talking about Flash yet because he's yeah. not really that. He, he he gives a very competent performance. He's charming when he needs to be, but he's overall just kind of like a well-meaning, muscle-headed dude who comes in and he always is trying to do the right thing. And all the other interesting characters move around him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he but, uh, he he doesn't seem all that interested half the time in what's going yeah. on. Yeah, um, one of his. One of the arcs that's interesting is like right off the bat, the movie is supposed to you're supposed to share with this concept that he's like the fucking boss. <laughs> like he's wearing a he is wearing a shirt with his own name on it. And in a more modern movie, I think that she would uh, the Dale, who's played by Melody Anderson, who I really really love in a movie called um, Dead and Buried. Melody Anderson, I think, is great in both of them. She's sort of this sweet, well-meaning central force, but she's not like a. She's got, like, dignity and kindness, but she's not a woman without action. I think that, like, they let her do a lot of fun stuff in this movie, especially yep. in the second half. Um, they don't just, like, relegate her to the sidelines like you might expect from a movie from this era. Yeah, no, agreed uh, Agreed 100%. Though, I will say... The plan would have failed time and time again without her... Well, and she seems more engaged than Flash. Um, my, 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 my reference to Futurama earlier was that Flash, Flash very much seems like Fry from Futurama in some of those episodes where like the world's at stake. He's really dumb and he doesn't seem to understand what's going on and he asks a lot of questions and sometimes seems engaged and sometimes doesn't. And you know what? That, that worked for me because I, I do think that it kind of turned it into a, a kind of a comedy. Here's this, here's the fate of this universe and all these factions. And he really is this dumb, stupid guy who's placed into the middle of it. And you don't usually get that. You don't get a hero who's like, I'm kind of an idiot and I don't know what's going on. I'm going to try my best. He um, kind of has, and this is, I think, ultimately uh, a good thing. Some I read it as a fault. I think ultimately the movie has sort of an eight-year-old's perspective on Flash as a character. Yeah. They, so this was a movie that was clearly made by people who love the character, which in some ways is very much like John Carter, the sort of belated sequel for an audience that may not exist, <laughs> who feels warmly about a property that is many, many generations past. And in that way, which ultimately ends up being charming, they're just sort of like, oh, we love Flash. It's sort of like he becomes sort of a Superman character where he's just like a well-meaning guy who comes in and tries to do the right thing always. Like, he's not particularly deep, but I don't think he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be someone that do, we can project our bravest self on. Do you think he's supposed – because I, I honestly think the movie was kind of presenting him as a well-meaning idiot on purpose. And you know, I – I would love to have read that, but I didn't entirely. Um, and I, I love, like, again, I thought it worked. That's not like a mockery of him as a character. I just thought that, yeah, he's a dumb jock and he's doing his best. And that worked for me in the movie. As a matter of fact, I think it made it very entertaining. You might not have had that. a movie that understands irony, though. Yeah, I don't know if they meant it that way, but once that was kind of – and it happened very quickly. Once that was my reading on the character, I think that really helped me enjoy the movie even more than I probably would have anyways because his dialogue and so much of the stuff he does fits into this person who you know has some challenges in life in general – uh, you know, he's very he's very good looking, I guess, according to the movie anyways. And he's on, you know, the cover of People magazine. He's a sports star. He's uh, a football star. Football, oh, no yeah. longer a polo star. He's a football he, star. He is a football star. He makes that very clear. 
Um, and, you know, he's just not the brightest. And I, I thought that was a very funny take. Now, you know, intentionality aside, that worked uh, very well for me. Um, and it made the movie uh, even that much more charming that, hey, you know what? Not every hero has to be the smartest guy in the room. It doesn't have to be James Bond or, uh, you know, a great scientist. It can just be this this dumb guy who everyone kind of manipulates around his own perceptions of what's going on. And sort of like in Indiana Jones, it's like sometimes he can punch his way out of stuff, and sometimes it seems like his uh, his targets are bigger than him and stronger than him. Yeah. So the other so thing I wanted to talk about this guy. Yeah. Okay. The other one. Oh, sorry. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about in this first scene, just because it kind of goes through the through line, he meets Dale, and this is also funniest relationship in the history of movies to me because I just want to walk through the bullet points of their relationship very quick. They meet on the plane. The plane goes down because Ming makes the um, the pilots raptured. They eventually get on a rocket ship, which we'll talk about, to, uh, to space. They are then holding hands, and when he looks at another girl, she, she makes some comments about, what am I, chopped liver or something like that? Now, they've known each other for 15 minutes. They then get separated, and the next time they see each other, about an hour later into the movie... Uh, he proposes. That is a relationship where I like. I know that's the joke of movies that people fall in love instantly. Twenty minutes of time together. Yeah, they basically they basically have the, the the situation where you're on an airplane and you're sitting next to a woman and you and her like sort of hit it off, but only only like talk or flirt enough that it's like if you guys decide to stop flirting, it's not going to be weird because yeah. you're stuck in a metal tube together. <laughs> It's sort of that sort of that situation where they, but they they are immediately somehow infatuated with each other. But the one thing I will say is that he is like sweet to her right away. Like yeah. she's feeling like motion sick in the plane, and he's like caring about that as opposed to just telling her to buck up. Yeah, he's like kind of a noble introduction to our hero that he like cares about. Like yeah, yeah, he definitely he's a he's a new eighties man. He's he cares about the needs of women. <laughs> Only so much, though. Yeah, um, but I think overall, overall, Flash is not like a misogynistic, weird character like you get in a lot of these. No, movies. not he. He just he just seems like a really well-meaning guy. Um, doofus. Yeah, well-meaning doofus, and it is funny. Like if you were to chart out their relationship, how quickly they are in a relationship. First off, and then how their separation leads to the through line of like the next time they see each other. Uh, he's talking about kids. He He's talking about kids, which just there is kind of a change from the typical uh, 80s movie. Like, they, they definitely have an equal partnership, uh, which is, yeah, rare, I guess, for 1980. Yeah. So pushing forward, um, some shit goes wrong when they're flying. Um, the rapture. These, these violent red clouds start rolling in all around them, which is an effect that I actually – it's a, the movie has a lot of compositing, which – both looks at times very charming and at times very bad. Um, I found this compositing really creepy looking because it was clearly some sort of real sort of vapor effect Mm -hmm. or maybe a vapor over water that they composited over actual skyline. And and, and though the perspectives are a little little crazy on that, like I really like this effect and a lot of the compositing in the movie where they have these strange sort of alien skies. Yeah. All the effects, from the composite effects to the miniatures to, you know, this is where probably 
you know, I just uh, shift to talk some sugar about the movie. But, yeah, fucking loved it. All of it was great. The background skies, the weirdness of it. Like, it had that sense of the sense that doesn't occur anymore with CGI films, which is we don't really know what we're doing. So we're going to try shit that looks cool and make a movie out of that. And it worked amazingly throughout the, the, the entire course of this movie. I loved it all. Yeah, and I could have, in that bloody effect, that bloody sky effect, I could have seen that working well in an actual horror movie, like in like altered states during some of those crazy hallucinogenic scenes. I could have seen that working well there, too, like in that sort of movie. I think a lot of the compositing, and then later in the movie when it's more like spacey and, and, and it becomes more of a space opera, it, it a lot of the effects look very charmingly dated. For the most part, all the weird effects and miniatures and creature designs, uh, you know, just just worked like gangbusters for me. The one thing that doesn't work with the, the compositing skies and the flying the, the flying creatures and stuff is sometimes when they have shots of the uh, like him riding a bike later, like a sky <laughs> bike later. The problem is that you can see clearly that there he's just standing on a thing in front of a green screen that's not moving like there's no sensation of movement you know i didn't even Uh, notice that which kind of tells you how sucked in i was into this movie by the end of it i mean they could have probably done the worst effects ever and i was like a little kid at that point yeah so there's a sort of apocalyptic scene happening on earth and we get introduced to dr zarkov who uh, begins as sort of a a uh an exposition machine, but he actually yeah. transforms into a really fun character. I, I had that same note. Yeah, he begins an exposition machine where he essentially is realizing that something's going wrong, and he explains that the moon is going to crash into the Earth, and it immediately <laughs> his, his response is, I've already got this fucking rocket. Him and his, he tells his assistant, we're going up in that rocket. We're going to <laughs> go deal with some shit. And my immediate reaction was similar to the scientists, like, no, neither of you are prepared for this. Well, and he points, he immediately points a gun at the person who has, has helped him for, for decades and has, has stood by him while NASA fired him and is like, you're not going to go to this rocket with me. I'm going to blow your brains up. Zarkov has the same thing that like most action, a lot of action movie villains or action movie heroes have like sort of like Tom Cruise and Minority Report. He's just watching videos to depress himself. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> watching videos of his own downfall <laughs> on, on CNN. Yeah. He's just like, what, what are you doing, buddy? Like, that's not healthy. Yeah. That's emotional self-abuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so he, uh, Zarkov is immediately kind of, like, I actually think Zarkov is pretty funny. He, he goes, speaking of going to 12, he starts out at 12. He is pointing and yelling like he's doing the last soliloquy of Henry V or something. Why is the, why is the comic relief movie and the movie actually funny? I have, no, I, I have no idea how they pulled that off. Yeah. But yeah, so Zarkov has a funny line where the scientist is too. He's, he's, his assistant is, has the gun pointed at him. Or he has the gun pointed at his assistant. He says, are you crazy? And he said, unfortunately not. Which is like a pretty funny sort of play on um, that kind of character. It's basically, I mean, he's basically kind of a Doc Brown character. Um, yeah. And or he, I had a different comparison, which is the priest in Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. Where he's sort of like... He and Holmes character. He, yeah. He's, he's driven crazy by his, his sense of conviction to push forward and he doesn't he, he knows that it sounds crazy but he's like i really don't have time sit down and go through the math with you we're, we're getting in the rocket 
Yeah, I guess the difference would be where Ian Holm kind of plays it very nebishly and like kind of manic and and you know anxious. This guy goes, "I'm gonna yell and point a lot." <laughs> he's a weird. He's a weird like. He's supposed to be like a Ukrainian scientist, like an Eastern Bloc scientist. You know, been imported into you know America. He, you know what he actually reminds me of? He reminds me of John Lithgow in Third Rock from the Sun when you get to his like big points of like. We're doing this! You know, that kind of, like, that's that's kind of where he was at at this point in the movie. Yeah, but anyway, so kind of pushing forward. I, I love Zarkov. Do you have any other reactions to him as a character going No, it's, it's he's great. He's got a lot of fun plot points. No, I mean, he gets brainwashed, um, you know, and, and well, we find out that he doesn't get brain. We'll get to that. But, yeah, his whole character, the way he plays everything, there. this is the part. So Flash and Dale end up in there after he, you know, both uh, threatens his partner of 20 years and only person who stood by him. And uh, they end up, he kind of points a gun at Flash and uh, Dale. And long story short, they end up in the spaceship and they go up. And this is kind of the part in the movie where, so that first, you know, 10, 15 minutes, it's got a lot of cheesiness. It's got the hot hail. It's got the weird, I've been watching you vibe. And I was ready for kind of a, it's an 80s movie, and I'm going to look for some charms and stuff. That rocket blasts off into space. You get the awesome composite wormhole effects. And yeah, from it's here, very Willy Wonka. It looks like a secretly a stoner movie. There's a sequence later on that's way more Willy Wonka, but... Oh, yeah. And, and then from here on out in the movie, basically, my defenses got chipped away. And within about 10 minutes later, I was like, I am in. Because... I do think this first segment of setting everything up, you know, had some eye-rolling moments, and I didn't know what they were going for. And once they got into that wormhole, man, it was like, okay, wait a second. This is this is interesting visually, and it just it just kept going up, 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 up from there. This this movie feels like a an inclined plane that just uh, you know gets exponentially higher as it as it goes up. Definitely, and I think that we're not going to go through every single plot turn because that's going to take. A lot. Like, it's a very twisty turning movie, but I think that this is the point in the movie where I was also converted because at first I was like, oh boy, is this movie just going to be a bunch of contrived plot movements to get people? And I was like, no, it's just really one big contrived movement moment to get them into space. And yeah. once they're in the space, it kind of the pieces kind of fall together nicely, which is not bad. Like it's if you're gonna if if you can't necessarily figure out a, a smooth way to do that in ten or fifteen minutes. I think that's fine when you have your last hour and 45 minutes be fucking awesome. We can't figure out a great way to do this. This is going to be cheesy, but they bought the ticket. They're going to love it after that. Yeah, and so they go through and we start seeing some of these alien worlds. Actually, I didn't want to forget this, that when they woke up in the spaceship, Flash, Dale's waking up, and Flash says, It's me, Flash, remember? And he's wearing a shirt that says Flash on it. <laughs> that I think I think I've just come around to your side. I think the movie is, totally believes that he's a dope. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I just that that was one of my and I I don't know if that was intentionally funny, but I have to. I mean, did no one notice that he? I mean, he has a Flash shirt on, and the fact that he said, "Remember, it's me, Flash." So, anyways, so. sorry. Also, that seems like a really self-conscious move if they're trying to introduce this guy to a new audience. Like, they have to know who Flash Gordon is. It's like, the movie's called Flash Gordon. It's just Flash Gordon. If they came through the theater, they said the name out loud to get the ticket. Like, 
they know what Flash Gordon is. People also say the name Flash like 9,000 times in the course of jo- the movie. John Carter would have been better if he would have had John Carter on his shirt. <laughs> He's just wearing a Civil War uniform and somehow has like a Carter on the, on the, on the badge just because they think people forget. Yeah, sewed by um, Betsy Ross. I think I feel about this way like like certain of our friends of the Dissolve uh, Facebook group feel about John Carter. It's just like the strange, out-of-place fantasy movie that I just love. But um, yeah, so all I was just going to say is Immediately, the movie switches paces to go to show us these alien worlds, and the colors are just gorgeous. And it, that's where it feels like more of a late seventies movie to yep. me in certain ways, where it's sort of garishly colored and it's not grim at all. And it's a lot of competing styles, like because they it is it, it's not it's not set in one area. And then when they get to the actual like throne room with all the different alien species, it kind of reminded me of the Neverending Story, where it was like all these different disparate species, and there's not a consistent costume design, but it's all this weird, cool stuff. And I don't know when we lost that, but that seems like a relic of of the late seventies and eighties, where it was just a bunch of weird shit. And now it feels like even when you have something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a great movie, but it feels like very controlled weirdness. It's like, very cohesive in a way that is overall, I think, probably a good thing, but it does lack that sort of eclectic nature that makes you sort of like gawk at everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this and like obviously the cantina scene in Star Wars. Yeah, like that's a great example. A lot of. Where it's like a wolf man and the band with the elephant looking dudes and like just a fat dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all the alien races are accounted for. I think a lot of that has to do with maybe uh, costume and special effects guys didn't get as big budgets relative to the budget as they do now. Like, I think maybe in Guardians of the Galaxy, like the proportional budget for special effects was much larger. And, and maybe. Something like, maybe. And maybe, yeah, maybe not enough cocaine. That's also, yeah, they're just like, now you have to have Wolfman in the scene. I almost feel like it's, yeah, because now they have the advantage of there's a team and there's computers and they sketch out their vision. I almost feel like part of the the eclectic weirdness is because movies tended to share assets a lot more where it was like, we need a costume for this. Let's go see what's in the vault. And we need need something for this. So I think... While that that's kind of a a weird technique to make a movie of let's just let's just see what we have lying around, I think it really led to some some really cool and you know surprisingly visionary versions of of the of different different worlds or the future that we just don't get anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of shit in like Blade Runner that's just um, reused assets from other movies. And I think a lot of that has to do with, yeah, the old the old studio s- systems and how they produce these movies and how their sound, sound state or their sound stages worked. That's possible, yeah. We don't really get that as much anymore because like, especially movies like Guardians from the Galaxy, they're allowed to start from scratch. Yeah. It's like you, you have these guidelines from your producers and you have the script and everything is kind of controlled on that end. And they're like, well, yeah, you're gonna go build your new spaceport. <laughs> you're not. You're not gonna pull from whatever action movie we made last month and paint it neon green, right? Yeah, and maybe and you know, it's possible that that kind of um, crazy mismatch of styles is not not pleasing to people, which is why some of these movies didn't this work movie out. Is very garish in a way that can turn people off. Yeah, but and and maybe if I would have seen it, maybe if I was, you know. 25 and 1980 i wouldn't have felt that way but it especially now it just it feels really unique in a way that most movies 
at some point, movies start becoming an artifact of their time and are unrepeatable, and that's what this feels like. It's true, and it comes from, it, it has a lot of late 70s identifiers in terms of it has, like, sort of disco sci-fi influences. Parts of it look like Logan's Run. Yeah. Parts of it look like, uh, the new, the most original stuff of it looks like it's pulling from um, these fantasy tropes from the original source. There's these, like, flying Vikings, like, winged Vikings, and that's clashing with the vaguely Asian-infused style of Ming's army, clashing with these big, broad, sort of silver metallic Star Wars sets. And, like, Star Wars was, like, famously very clean-looking and very, like, not clean as in, like, cleanly, but, like, uh, a lot of clean lines and very dirty and used. Um, whereas in this, this is very, like, it doesn't look like a space anybody has used. Yeah, th- this is bright. This. The aluminum foil budget on this movie was high. I, it was very hot. Let's so move on. But- yeah, so they all arrive in the throne room after being captured by Ming the Merciless, and that's sort of what we were discussing with... The uh, set design, uh, the sort of eclecticness of it, the charming eclecticness of it that'll run throughout the whole movie. Um, so we're introduced to these cast, this cast of, of different characters who are going to loop back around. And the fun thing about this movie is it sort of splits into paths where Dale, Zarkov, and Flash all get split up and um, they all kind of go forward on their own adventure, which reunites for the climax, which is like a really satisfying structure. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's very Empire Strikes Back, but since this came out the same year, obviously it wasn't a ripoff of that. But it does kind of have that same. Um, and also, it allows it allows you to really see. I mean, as someone who, as I mentioned, likes really likes the world they created and the art design, it really lets you see a lot of different uh, disparate areas that you wouldn't if they all stayed on one straight line for the entire adventure. Yeah, and the fun thing about it is it's sort of like Mass Effect, where you'll see a scene where early on in the games you don't know what the alien races are, and everybody's just kind of like shooting at each other or whatever, and then the game goes on and you're like, oh, those are the Solarians, they do this. It's the same thing in this movie where you get introduced to these like big, brash old Viking dudes with, like, wings and a sword and, like, this, like, war-loving tendencies to themselves. And then you get these sort of um, not-hippie-ish tree people. Who are dressed like Robin Hood. Yeah, they're dressed by, like Robin Hood. That's a great comparison because they're kind of not, and they're not... In certain ways, they're pulling from Japanese culture. Um, they have a weird sort of honor system. They have a, a, a mechanic for suicide, which we'll get into later, which is a very uh, cool, creepy scene. There's some sort of um, group, which is, uh, maybe I'm I'm wrong, but it seems like African-inspired by the headdress that he's wearing, and this guy... And uh, and that they're black? And that they're black, yes, yes. Um, That might be, because they're trying to do is sort of have this, like, pastiche of all these these space cultures. So Ming is space Chinese. (laughs) Uh, uh, The tree people are half space Japanese, and uh, the Vikings are, like, full-on space Nordic. Yeah. Um, so the, one of the, um, the African inspired, like, uh, groups leaders approaches the throne and basically is told that, you know, we're, we find out that all these people have been conquered by Ming and this, this guy in a very cool scene basically says like, we can't provide you with food. We can't give you your, your war tribute right now. And Ming says, what will you do to, to prove your loyalty? Why, uh, when are you going to start making, making good on the fact that I own you? And uh, there's a scene where the guy, Ming, tells him to fall on his own sword as a sort of uh, way to make amends for the fact that they didn't bring them money or food or any sort of tribute. 
and the guy feigns falling on a sword, swings around, is going to kill Ming, and then Ming reacts fast and wipes him out. Yeah. It's a really neat scene because it, it, it introduces... Well, it, al- it also it also kind of pays off because, I mean, the second that Flash and his, and his team get there, they're already talking about... They haven't met Ming. They're like, well, we're going to lead a revolt. And when he's not looking, I'm going to kill Ming. And it really sets up that, no, uh, Ming's smarter. It's not going to be that simple. And it, it also sets it up that, like, Ming is sort of a Vader type where Ming can compete in terms of violence. He's not some weak old man yeah, um, who has to send out henchmen. He's not the best fighter of all those people, probably, but he can defend himself. Yeah, and um, it, it, it establishes why he's in the position that he's in in the first place. Yeah. So, um... There's, so yeah, so Ming takes out this this leader. Everyone's very shocked, and everybody goes back to being complacent because no one wants to get obliterated. <laughs> and this is also an introduction which I'd like you to uh, take on. It's an introduction to the sexed up nature of this movie, yeah. which is which is basically like there are there's a character which is specifically using sex as a weapon, like that is her specialty. Like, yeah, and that's and that's Ming's daughter. That's uh... that's Ming's. That's Princess daughter, Princess like, Aura. Princess Aura. He sort of lets her her flit about and uh, use her, her her sexual agency to. So I guess Ming is sort of a feminist. Yeah. But he lets he lets uh, Aura sort of do her own thing. Yeah. That that kind of brings into you know comparing this to Star Wars. At no point during Star Wars did Darth Vader want to fuck Princess Leia, but everyone wants to fuck in this movie like this. This has a this is a pretty horny movie, and I can kind of see why maybe it didn't catch on uh, with mass audiences the way that Star Wars did because there is there is so much of just people's main motivation being sex, people you know commenting on sex, people wanting to have sex. I'm I'm fully on board with this. To be clear, I'm not uh, I'm not saying that's a bad I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it definitely feels like the screenwriter wrote the script with one hand. Um, it's true. It's true. It's like, and the concubines are going to be walking around the, the throne chamber. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the concubines. They can, they, 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 they I mean, there's there's a full-on pillow fight later in this movie. Um, I forgot about that. There, it's a very gentle chick fight that's yeah. uh, most unwelcome. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the so, – I mean, some of the sex stuff is a detriment. I mean, Ming's, Ming's main motivation becomes marrying uh, Dale. That's all he wants to do, and this it's in this throne room scene where it gets extra weird because he has a ring with indeterminate powers, and at one point he he shoots Dale with the ring, and she kind of lets out you know some orgasm noises, and he's like she's responding super well to this, better than anyone else I know, and then his goal becomes to marry her. So it's like he kind of has a rape ring, I guess. And for those of you that are in our gold member club and have heard our lost episode, um, this is starting a theme on the show, which is going to be continued in a, yeah. a later episode, which is weird rape illusions in movies that it does not need to be in, and nor is it improving the movie. I well, and, no, and there's a whole roofie thing later because later on when he is huge roofie thing, yeah, later. we're, we're yeah, yeah, little, uh, where he, you know, because he kind of captures her. So at this point, he decides he wants her. They're going to execute Flash. Um, now, to follow the thread through, though, later on, uh, Ming is going to go, he's like, well, she's going to be my bride, so I need to fuck her. 
and they have a whole drink prepared for people that don't want to have sex but are going to have sex because that's Ming is merciless in a lot of different areas and so much so that they comment on the fact that hey no it's it's not going to make you forget it but you're not going to mind as much so drink this when Ming comes in to fuck you yeah and it's it's uh there's a there's a whole it, it. It's very sexed up, like I said, in a 70s way, and it's got this weird, like, what the fuck does a PG rating even mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I had one other issue with the movie besides the uh, racist character of, uh, of a Chinese person. The other part was the weird, like, it's great to be sex positive, and it's cool that this blockbuster movie in the, you know, created in the 70s had a lot of uh, adult themes in there. The rape stuff, though, I could have done without. Yeah, like the potion you were talking about. I have the line up here. Will it make me forget uh, if she takes this green potion that's being offered by another one of Ming's concubines? She said, will it, will it make me forget? No, but it'll make you not mind remembering. <laughs> Which is a weird, yeah. weird riff on rupees that is just like, I mean, it'll take away your, your consent, of course. Yeah, I guess it'll be all right. Yeah, or even just a weird, <laughs> or, I mean, yeah, let's, those, those are the two parts of the movie where it just it goes from really like okay fine it's a sexed up version of or it's a it's a sexed up world awesome weird different to okay it's too sexed up you got to yeah. take it down one notch yeah but yeah so the movie continues on with Ming tries to claim her Flash doesn't like that um, and Flash basically gets condemned to death. Yeah, um, and he he tries to fight his way out um, using football moves. Um, yeah, he's and in a case quarterback on the New York Jets, and I noted that that's not a cover like it would be in Superman or something, but a hobby. Um, and he, uh, if you didn't know anything about football or how it would relate to fighting, he uh, when he's trying to escape, he calls out plays. Yeah, I didn't know it. He's like, hike, 72, and then he does a move. It, it definitely feels like, okay, he's a football star. Let's make him say football thing. Is he just so trained? He's so good at football that he can't break those rhythms? Yeah, it's a, it's a compulsion. Hey, if I'm going to do the move, i got to say the words. That's what Coach <laughs> said. Coach told me I need to do this. Okay, it's all about mental preparation. God. So he basically... He gets, he sent, he gets sentenced to death. He doesn't get... He, does oh. not successfully take out Ming. The movie is not 30 minutes long. We no. are not moving through this movie fast at all. Well, we, we've, we've, t- we've talked a lot of good threads, so I feel like we've we've ended some stuff to completion. So, yes, um, yes. One thing, too, just to note, the leader of the tree people, I somehow missed this in the credits, uh, so it was a fucking amazing surprise. Timothy Dalton. He is, this is pre-Bond Timothy Dalton, so he's pretty young in his career. Man, I really loved how Timothy Dalton just committed to this role he, he's playing it like it's a straight drama which yeah. is like really admirable when you watch a movie like this and you're like this he doesn't feel like the material is below him which is have you ever i mean timothy dalton never i mean he always any interview i've ever seen with him he seems like he just fucking loves acting so yeah moving forward uh Dale is pushed forward as being the next concubine and Flash is getting ready to be executed. And he's basically put into a cell. He does get executed, uh, but to add injury or to add insult to injury, they take his Flash shirt when they escort him to the to, uh, to the chair. It's such a strange touch. Like, we need to have him in his proper execution 
clothes, which are not like baggy, ill-fitting, embarrassing clothes or like a robe or, or anything to like match them. It's a uh, Earth T-shirt with a flash symbol on it. Yep. <laughs> Maybe they just are offended by English, they yeah. but they like like representations of English. Whoa, 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 guys. It's not inclusive if you have <laughs> a language you don't understand. We're going to give you your symbol. We're going to give you your dignity. Is that like those those uh, mythic cops in uh, Canada that like uh, come around and write tickets for you not having signs that are both in French and English? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like They're like, uh, people don't understand that your name is... Also, like, they built him a custom shirt, which actually seems kind of in a universe where... Seems the, nice. Um, I the like... universe where the, the primary villains uh, have gold skull masks <laughs> and red capes. Um, which, by the way, looks really badass. Yeah, I've, I've, I've called some of the stuff in the movie Garish. The, the the henchmen are really badass looking. I do like that they couldn't figure out a future way to to have the death penalty where they were just like, it, it it's the chair. He's, he's gonna get the chair. <laughs> this is another thing where maybe just like the sex thing, it made me question who the fuck the audience is for this because it's kind of a movie that's perfectly for thirteen year olds. Yeah, thirteen year olds don't know what Chinese people really look like. <laughs> But they can't handle such topics as Chinese people or the death penalty. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, thirteen-year-olds can't handle uh, the death penalty. They can't handle all this sex. I, I, but I, I still couldn't believe, like, it was the chair with the. Now I'm not an expert on the on the electric chair, but it even had the hat. It did. It had the chair a little, hat. A little weird. It wasn't just like why couldn't it have just been like they made him drink some sort of death juice or like. Uh, well, I suppose they. I was gonna say. Why couldn't it just be lasers disintegrating him? But I suppose that's really hard to fake his death, which is what happens here. Aura, Aura basically orchestrated with Timothy Dalton to because honestly, you'd think it's some bigger reason, but it's not. She just really wants to fuck him. Like I said, this movie's horny as shit. Yeah, um, so she she helps fake his death. There's a great little scene where she revives him in this chamber that's full of these creepy little burial nymphs. Yeah, I love that. All those little weird creepy touches. Yeah, that, that was a great little bit of set design where there's this, they like carve out a little um, tombstone for Flash even. It's a great little touch that they didn't need to have. It was probably, I mean, maybe it was in the original script or something, it was probably just like an empty burial chamber. It easily could have been a really boring scene where she just like, well, you're alive now. But like instead we get these creepy little touches. And to fit with his, I don't know what's going on, he says, he, he doesn't know, what's, he, he articulates that he doesn't know what's going on when he wakes up. Yeah, so we're, this is where the movie starts to split off. Do you want to follow? <laughs> Let's do a choose your own adventure. Actually, I feel I feel Dan like we Matt. I feel like we already followed Dale. I mean, she basically she 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 goes to her cell uh, where she's going to get raped by Ming. She's given that potion and she switches it basically. Yeah, and she gives it to a different concubine, trades it, uh, basically tricks. <laughs> tricks Ming into thinking he's going to have sex with her, but instead he has to have sex with a, a supermodel. He doesn't actually do the act. Outside. No, he's, he's very, he's very upset that there's someone else that wants to have sex with him. That's been drugged when he wanted, he wanted his specific drugged person. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a nice peek into how fucked up his sexual brain is that he's like, no, I'm not a supermodel. To have sex with that cute girl that I kidnapped from Earth. Yeah, that kind of parallels. Um, why, why don't you take uh, take take the other guy, the brainwash guy? Oh, Zarkov. So there's an amazing sequence that I think also reminds me of the tunnel sequence from Willy Wonka. Genuinely disturbing. Oh yeah, and it shows you because it's showing all this 
footage of he's, it's basically um, the function of it is he's being tortured by Ming's right hand man and he's being he's having his brain sucked and he's like I think the Ming guy might be Ming's buddy might be learning from those experiences I'm trying to suss out what it, it might just be straight up torture like let me take away the one thing that a smart person has. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're learn I mean, I never got the indication they were doing anything with it. It was just it, it looked, let's make yes. him a shell of, of a person so that we can use him as an agent. Yes. So they're trying to do a sap, brainwash him, but first they gotta do is undo all all the things that make him care about Earth. They run through the sequence of like all this horrible shit and one of the guys says there's a picture of Hitler and right hand man goes now he showed promise. No, which Ming, is like, no Ming oh, said that. Ming said that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a really strange line to have in a children's movie. So, <laughs> but it works as a sort of separate little sequence where you just see that Ming has a lot of tools of torture at his disposal. He's not just a, mur- a great murderer. He also wants to, um, you can kind of see how he built his army. Yeah, and, and that you're, you're 100% right that it was a... Uh, you're hundred percent right that it was a really creepy sequence. Like it, yeah. it, it, it was very effective. It's a really weird Willy Wonka touch in the middle of the movie. Um, and the movie kind of overall reminds me, it has these temple of doom touches where it's like, um, it's got this sort of old school sense of adventurism and sense of humor punctuated by really strange grizzly violence. Yeah. Um, and but, super, uh, super hot sex scenes, and super hot sex scenes. Oh, and uh, racial sensitivity. But yeah, so you, going from there, we believe that Zarkov has been either a fate worse than death or he's been turned. There's, so when she escapes... Yeah, so so hopping back to, to Dale's plot a little bit. She escapes, and she's basically a Leia figure. She's a James Cameron even figure uh, in terms of like a feminist feminist woman because it's it's not like... It's in some ways not feminist if you're reading this a different way than a lot of people, which is that, like, yes, she's a woman of action. Yes, she's a woman that, like, doesn't like getting pushed around. Yes, she's refusing to let men control her. But on the other hand, it's also, like, this James Cameron idea of feminism, where it's, like, women enact their will through violence, which is, like, a very male idea of what action is. But in a movie like this, under these constraints, violence is the language of action. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, everybody does everything by Flash makes friends by beating them up. People just like get things done via violence in this movie. Yeah, and she she basically doesn't really need. I mean, she has some getting saved at the end, but you know, she's the one that figures out a way out. I mean, it's not. It's not the most progressive version of the, you know, of the of the hero of the story, but it definitely is a step up from a lot of what we got in 1980. Yeah, if you can, if you love aliens, then this will work just fine for you. Yeah, exactly. So um, pushing forward, um, the there's a we we jump over to what uh, Flash is doing. While we see um, Zarkov and Dale trying to escape together. Because we find out that Zarkov broke his programming because he's so smart that he was—they he, couldn't take everything away from him. I thought of Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just like a strangely contrived moment where it's like, why would you take? Why would the movie script it as? It's like a lot of the weird foibles of this movie could be taken out by like one script change. We're like, why wasn't this just a torture device? 
it yeah. doesn't pay off. Like, if the him as a drone thing never pays off, why is it in there? I, I liked it, though, because it, it was so weird, like, hey, I thought about science, and then they couldn't take my memories. It doesn't make any sense, but, you know, he sells it. I believe, I believe when yeah. he told me I, I thought about Shakespeare and they couldn't take that from me, I'm like, yeah, fuck right they couldn't. <laughs> fuck right, science. I told you, I was, I was in. Yeah, I, I love that. He, but he's, he, he didn't register as a character you shouldn't trust or anything, and that's kind of a waste of your time thinking of that because he's not going to turn. No. Um, but they go off to find the um, sky people while at the same time Flash is with Aura. And you don't know if you can trust Aura yet, but she's uh, – I don't know. I, I, I bought that her only motivation in life was to fuck Flash. Which, But you don't know what she wants to do once she's gotten that. Oh, yeah, true. Like, that's what I Good was point. thinking. Like, Good point. Does she want to fuck Flash just to hurt – the prince that she's trying to marry, uh, Timothy Dalton, does she want to do it to, uh, just like to do it once? And then like, she gets like, is she such a fickle sexual person that she just like has sex with people and then moves on? Um, and like, she might've been, she's going to try and kill him once she's had her way. Is she just like a spoiled brat who just takes her father's toys. And then when she's done with them, she brings them back like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I wasn't sure if we could trust her yet. But yeah, they end up on the tree planet, and we get to look, see some of the, the culture of this planet. When she, when she, on the, the ride over, she seduces, she tries to seduce Flash. He turns her down. Uh, not, oh, not for Dale's, or not for Dale's sake, more of a for... Even though he does think to himself, man, she's really turning me on. <laughs> It's true. He's like, he's like, this is working for me. She's sitting in his lap, and there's like a shot of her unzipping his pants, and I was like, oh god, did I accidentally rent Flesh Gordon? Yeah, this I, is the, this I, is the I, part that I st- I did almost rent. <laughs> I know you on did. Amazon, right next to it. This was the part of the movie that I started watching it with just one hand. <laughs> that's, that's that's not so true. I'm I'm an adult who has access to pornography, <laughs> but it just doesn't do it do it for you. Yeah, Flesh Gordon does. But yeah, this is a diverse and strange universe, and we're seeing this sort of tree world. And what we first see is is this, this ritual, which will become important later. They're not just throwing this at you as noise. Uh, where, in order to prove their bravery, the tree people—is it there to prove their bravery? They have to. No, it's it's, it's part of become. It's, right? No, it's it's because it's uh it's their transition to adulthood. Oh, okay. So they basically make like thirteen-year-olds once they're ready to become a true warrior or an adult or whatever it was, they basically have to, there's this, there's this big tree stump with about five or six holes and they need to pick a hole, stick their hand in. And there's a uh, poisonous monster in there. If they don't get bit, they basically just have to stick their hand in and get it out like five seconds. They don't get bit. They're a man. If they do, uh, they're going to be torturously poisoned over weeks. And I think it's not even testing your bravery. I think I was wrong. I think it's like this thing will decide whether or not like the the tribe is allowed to have another warrior. Like there's, I think there's something more complicated going on. Well, there, it there, requires there, bravery to, to go through the passage. Yes. Yeah. But, they're, they're saying that, you know, it's the normal thing where, or it's the normal cultural thing. It's not just, Hey, sometimes a monster might bite you. It's if the monster bites you, and kills you, it means that God has said you aren't worthy. But this really is the equivalent of, like, reaching adulthood by, here's a gun, play Russian roulette, and if you point it to your temple and you're not dead, congratulations. Yeah, it's a really fucked up way to introduce someone to adulthood. Like, it's not like 
the rites of passage that like Native American certain Native American tribes put their their children through, where they or at least their male children through, where they would like send them out and into the woods to like discover certain parts of their spirituality or like or like overcome something like this is just this is just stick your hand in this and try not to get killed yeah and and like in a lot of cultures it's like got like this sort of import of like (laughs) this import of like self-discovery and this it's like are you stupid enough to put your hand on this hole well, I guess you made it through. Yeah. And it is like a creepy little thing that stabs you. It's like a scorpion. Yeah, and, and the kid does get stabbed to set it up. And they really look at him like, well, shit, buddy. I guess you're not going to be an adult. Do you want us to kill you or do you want to have a really bad week? It's basically like not quite space seppuku, but <laughs> sort of like the, the guy acts as There's no first. The kid isn't stabbing himself in the stomach, but like the Timothy Dalton basically acts as a second, like slashing him down to like put him out of his misery. So where this comes into play is that Flash. So uh, I, I don't think we said this. So Timothy Dalton's character, we just call him Timothy Dalton. I, I don't see a reason to try to have to look up his character's name. Timothy Dalton is supposed to be the person who marries uh, Princess Aura. So she drops him off there and is like, hey, I want to fuck this guy. I know I'm supposed to marry you, but just keep an eye on him. Promise you're not going to do anything stupid with him. And Timothy Dalton is like, yeah, I'm going to do something stupid with him. So they they, they have a little bit of a challenge area. And to get past it all, or to move forward on this, they end up having a stick-your-hand-in-a-hole competition. Yeah, they, they there's a sequence where Timothy Dalton tries to kill him, and then he escapes. And then Timothy Dalton basically trick-stash invites him up to the, to the, the, the whole thing. What happens is uh, Flash gets stabbed, pricked with a thing. He gets, he gets uh, spat. Uh, I'm glad that you're saying pricked with the thing because that is totally my way of speaking that I'm trying to overcome. So if I maybe it's like some cool voodoo thing where I just pass it on to you and I start <laughs> I start speaking better. So so uh, they go through the, the process of the, the trunk, uh, the rite of the ritual of the trunk, and Flash gets uh, pricked by the the trunk beast, which is also again I, I know that you. We're not on the same wavelength of how stupid he is as a character, but this scene really sums it up. He's they're sticking their hands into holes, and at one point Timothy Dalton is like, "Yeah, I know, I know, I know that you just went, but you know now you got to go again." And he's like, "Oh, it's a new rule or something?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's a new rule." And he's like, "All right, he's not that bright, Peter." Yeah, he's he's a dope. And it's of course on that one that he gets his hand. Because you know, eventually you stick your hands into trees long enough, you're you're gonna you're gonna get poisoned by Scorpion Man. You can you can fight it, you can push back, you know, but eventually you're gonna have to stick your hand on the tree trunk and get stabbed with a scorpion. Yep. Um. But yeah, so he goes through this. Uh, he gets infected with this thing, and I don't even remember how he gets cured of it. Yeah, I was. You it. know what? I was never clear. So they throw him in the pit. And there's another monster there, which is a really cool design. It kind of looks like it's going to envelop him. And then Timothy Dalton kills that monster and then says, now I'm going to kill you for real. So somewhere in there he got cured. And Yeah, that's a weird sequence of why have him get stabbed if he's not going to go on some sort of like... Like this would be a sequence where he has a weird hallucinogenic Willy Wonka tunnel sequence. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's not there. Um, but yeah, so they're all split up right now. Dale and uh, Flash are split up right now. So wait, why Why couldn't he... I forget. So Timothy Dalton was going to kill him, but then he doesn't. 
Because I think he doesn't want to straight up kill him yet. No, but he, he said he was going. Doesn't doesn't Aura show up back there and what the fuck happened? They go to oh, the hop. No, 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 the, uh, so what happens is what I was, I was trying to get to is they hop over to the Hawk World uh, to, to Zardoz. Yep. Zardoz. Volton. They hop over. So let's hop over to the movie Zardoz. Yeah. So Zarkov and Dale are over in Cloud City hanging out with the Viking Eagles. They convince them to go to war against Ming, which is their purpose in the plot. Like I said, I really like that they all split up and then they all come back to like take down Ming. So I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, Voltan was also your favorite character in the movie. Voltan, yes. Just making sure we got that. He, he has one volume, and it's yelling like you are announcing a feast to the village. <laughs> His whole thing is, come, enjoy our food. But everything, he's like... Everything he says is at that exact same tone. No matter for for the entire movie, he's my favorite character. Actually, what's what's amazing though is that I assume it seems so much like Sala from Indiana Jones. He the way that Sala talks when he's excited, like Indy, we're doing this. The whole thing, my friend. Yeah, this is a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. So apparently, Jonathan Rhys Davies copied Volton's portrayal. Way to go. Uh... The guy, the guy seemed to be having a blast in the role. Oh, I loved it. From Wikipedia is that he wanted to play that role the, his entire life, is what he said. Actually getting to play it, you can tell that he's just, like, pumped about it. Yeah, speaking of generational gaps, the fact that someone knew who Volton was and wanted to play him his entire life speaks to yeah. how far the Flash Gordon property has fallen in modern conscious. So, yeah, so there, Dale and Zarkov convince the Hawk people... That, hey, I know you want to take over Ming, so your best bet is your best bet to do that is Flash. So they end up going, and yeah, that's how Flash gets rescued. Is that, and Flash is now, everyone else is in these cool futuristic garb and, you know, their cool different world garb. Flash, from here on out, wears a wife beater. It's true. Flash and with, true. with full chest hair. It's, it's, it's a glorious late 70s sight. Yeah. So they get Flash back. And Flash and Timothy Dalton, because this this is where Flash finally reunites with Dale. And even though they haven't seen each other in a couple days and also only knew each other for a half hour before that, that's when Flash is like, we're going to have kids someday. And uh, and Dale's like, I think I'm engaged now, <laughs> um, which is which is great. Great for relationship building. But uh, Timothy Dalton still is like, hey, my betrothed wanted to fuck you. We're going to have to fight to the death. And, oh my God, did I love this scene. It's a, it's a straight-up video. I, I've seen a few movies recently that have done this, but it's a straight-up video game sequence where it's like they throw them on the boss platform. Yeah. There's no way to get off until they kill one of, one of each other. There's like mid-boss fight changes thrown and transformations thrown into the arena. I, I feel like start I've, coming up from the floor. And I feel like mid is a really big word there because Volton, who controls the spikes immediately decides that the fight is not going is that the fight is not exciting enough and throws on the spikes. Also the weapon that they give them whips. <laughs> it is a whip Fuck fight. you other movies. They have a whip fight on a rotating platform with spikes. Immediately. And yeah. it's a nice I think it's a nice little fist fight that they have. And it's nice because it's like it makes Flash more endearing to not have him be a Superman in terms of 
fighting prowess. Like, I wouldn't like the movie as much if Flash just came in and, like, Steven Seagal'd it and got, like, didn't get punched at all and just, like, knocked everybody out. I wouldn't really like that as much. No, Flash actually feels more like a symbol that the rest of these already... All these people wanted to rebel. Yeah. And it's like, Flash is coming, kind of gave everyone the motivation to do it, but he he doesn't seem all that pivotal to anything that happened. And you're right, he's not a Superman. He does... I mean, he does end up winning and then sparing... Timothy Dalton, and then, of course, they're best friends, and they all decide to go take on Ming. But it's it's not it's not an overwhelming victory. They don't even do the God, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla thing where Timothy Dalton is winning, and then all of a sudden, you know, Flash comes back. They both kind of fumble their way through it. They both step on spikes. Um, and then eventually, Timothy Dalton's just hanging off the edge. Yeah. So they eventually make amends. Basically, Timothy Dolan is hanging off the edge, and Flash saves him. So they are bros now. Just like I said earlier, everything in the movie is fixed with violence. Um, and uh, Much like real life. <laughs> much like real life. So this is like the big turning point right before the big battle, where uh, the Vikings have to choose their side. Because Ming's forces show up. The right-hand man shows up to personally punish uh, the prince take yeah. away his friendship, uh, break up the marriage. You know, do all the do all the necessaries to sort of break up this rebellion. And Flash, um, in a, a, a move of pretty badass uh, Conan the Barbarianism, <laughs> uh, throws him onto the platform, impales him on the spikes, and in like a totally awesome uh, horror movie moment, uh, right hand man's eyes like. Bulge, bulge out, out. yeah. bulges out. It's like really gross yeah. and awesome. That's yeah. very Temple of Doom touch. Yeah, it's great. And I, my exact note was um, eyeball popping out of their head is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that about turns. That's like the sort of note you take when you're you don't want to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Most of my notes from here on out are just different ways of saying fuck yeah to stuff. It really is. I'm just going to read them because I feel like that'll get us through this. But it's basically Hawk Army. This looks fucking awesome. Best ending battle song ever. Fuck yeah. Fucking lightning field. I already have the Flash Gordon theme downloaded. And the rest is the very end stuff. But that's my notes just turned into like a little giddy kid just saying, fuck yeah, this is awesome. And what happens is the for the, the team, some people are inside the castle. Some people are outside the castle, and Ming is about to get married to Dale because she gets recaptured by the forces when they leave the, the Vulcan's Cloud City. Yep. Cloud City gets And they, they also, they, they take Timothy Dalton, they take Zarkov. Yeah, so they take those guys, and then but Flash and the Vikings and stuff escape on different ships, and there's sort of this thing where they're they're organizing forces trying to get the hell out of Cloud City in the, in the, uh, the, the chaos. The one thing I really like about this that's also Star Wars parallel is that these these fights, there's a lot of, like, really great little, tight little sequences of Timothy Dalton shooting these fake stormtroopers. Or should I say, stormtroopers are fake pigmen from this, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Because um, they're, like, pigmen. You were some, or mutants or something. When they, when they get shot, they make, like, pig squealing noises. So clearly there's some sort of weird freak things maybe there's made of snakes i don't know and this um, and this battle scene just it's a hawk army it's the stormtroopers it turns into chaos immediately and like the most fun chaos it's just shit flying at stuff there's no there's no real rhyme or reason but if you just have a giant erection um about the movie in general like i do it's it's perfect and yeah and i will i will um i'm going to i'm going to pipe in here the the theme 
that plays during this whole thing. So it's just chaos, it's laser blasts, it's stuff crashing into each other, and this is the theme that plays. It just keeps going up and up and up. It is amazing. It is amazing. And the I, uh, there's a lot of chaos going on, but Flash is basically driving his ship straight at Ming's chamber. Um, he's counting on someone inside to keep the battle going, to not let the marriage happen, that sort and, of thing, and, and, while the Vikings are descending on the, the castle. Timothy Dalton is shooting up guys in, <laughs> in like pretty awesome, a pretty awesome gunfight in the hallway that's like tighter than any of the shootouts in, in Star Wars 1. Definitely tighter than the shootouts in... I, I don't think George Lucas ever did shootouts all that well. They were kind of like flippy and floppy, which is like has a charm to it, but like... Yeah, they were really, they were really slow. It felt... If, Nobody's really, yeah, there's no, like, concertedness to the way that people are shooting each other, which actually helps it seem less violent, and it adds to the sort of fantastical nature of it. It doesn't feel gritty at all, which is, like, kind of nice, but there's, like, a couple shots in here where Timothy Dalton is, like, straight up, like, rolling and, <laughs> and going for headshots and stuff. He's playing a little bit of Call of Duty here. Yeah, I mean, the amount of energy in this whole sequence is palpable and, like, yeah. exhilarating. We talk sometimes about that feeling of, like, feeling energized by a movie, and I was ready to go run a lap around our neighborhood after this whole scene. It really, it really just gets you. I, I almost hate saying this because it sounds so stupid, but I don't know how else to describe it. This got me jacked up. Jacked up. Yeah. I was like, and it, 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 when it ends, you're basically, what happens is uh, Flash drives his ship. With a, a fucking spaceship. Into he impales Ming, Ming on the, the spaceship. This comes to the end of the movie because he impales on a spaceship, which is much better than Flash having another fist fight with an old man, which is always like the weird thing in these movies where you're like, does the bit, does the lead guy really need to have like a fist fight with the villain? Like, I'm pretty sure he just stomped someone twice his size. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Ming gets off, which I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, they were setting up for sequels, but like, it had the full. I generally don't like when people escape from the clutch of death in these these sort of movies. I think we could have had Ming be impaled. Well, it does seem like he dies. The only reason that he's not is because it has the whole, um, you know, his his big. Even though we only mentioned it as a rape ring, uh, his ring did do other things, and that was the source of his power. So at the end, he gets kind of vaporized. But the very very end of the movie is a hand. You don't know which hand picking up the ring, and then it says the end with question mark. And I don't know what they planned for movie number two, but... I, I guess I didn't read anything about, like, an actual sequel planned. They were going to make a trilogy. Oh, okay, well then, go fuck, I guess I can go fuck myself then. <laughs> they, they, they wanted this to be a Star Wars franchise. Which makes sense. It does, because of uh, uh, money. And, and technically, Star Wars ripped them off in a weird way. 
Yeah, and I would have loved, and I would have. It's a, it's a cross. It's more of cross pollination. I feel like it's not so much a rip off as like a. Because this movie also has a lot of like Superman inspiration, especially a lot of just the way they they draw the characters and stuff. Like Flash is like a little bit of Luke, and he's a little bit of Superman. Like they they draw a little bit from from all the big movies of the day. There's yeah. a lot of cross pollinating going on. Yeah, it is a weird situation though, where you have a movie that basically. I'm going to say rip off, but I do mean that in a loving way. Uh, a movie that took inspirations. Star Wars took inspiration from Flash Gordon's source material, but then Flash Gordon arriving three years later is taking inspiration from the thing that took the inspiration from its own source material. So you have a very cross pollination is the perfect word. I mean, I don't even think it's debatable now having seen this that this is like ten times the movie Star Wars is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, I'm wearing, I'm currently wearing a um, a uh, Princess Aura T-shirt with her wearing her trademark outfit that you know everyone can picture right away. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always I used to think that John Williams was a really good composer for space operas, but now I just think he's a huge piece of shit compared to Queen. John Williams could like write some string music or whatever, but like, did he know how to even play an electric guitar? Um, did, could he wear a cod piece? These yeah. are questions that I need to know. It's it's really disappointing. Um, I I hope that everyone that made Star Wars is ashamed of themselves, um, just in general. An embarrassing effort. Yeah, um, I mean it. It you know sometimes you see something that just if you see a picture of a lady, you might go that looks nice, and then you see the Mona Lisa. And you're like, that picture of that lady looks like garbage now. And that's that's essentially what's happened now that I've seen Flash Gordon in comparison to Star Wars. George Lucas's legacy related to Flash Gordon. We are not super familiar with Flash Gordon at, at, in any way. No, I um, I did no research either as is my yeah. as is becoming my usual thing where I didn't even read how closely this followed the comic books. Like, I didn't want to read a bunch of reviews of Flash Gordon of the time and then be influenced by, like, people saying, like, oh, oh another, uh, another uh, movie steps up to take over the reins of Star Wars. Uh, let's see if this one does well with audiences. Like, that sort of cynical perspective that comes with stuff happening in your times. Yeah, and I, I have a tendency to do that with all movies. I Even stuff that I'm not... It's weird because I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about spoilers. I feel like... Good articles and good reviews about movies for 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 the most part really really get you know the old wheels turning gives you stuff to digest in relation to what you've seen if you haven't seen it and you don't know what you're talking about it's really hard to have those to have that kind of even conversation with yourself about oh that's a different way to look at it so I don't tend to to ignore them for spoiler reasons I tend to ignore them because this isn't going to do anything for me at this point. I think that's true even for stuff like, you know, Flash Gordon or whatever we're talking about, because why would I read something about it that I have no context for? It's true. And I um, I think that also our perspe- another one of our key philosophies is to treat each movie as a sort of unique object. Like, you can compare it to the broader culture, obviously, it's inevitable, but how else would you judge something if it was truly in a vacuum? But e- treating each movie as its own thing, trying to accomplish its own goals... Um, rather than holding it to <laughs> what audiences were expecting in 1980. And I, I think that I think it adds extra it is fun to go and sink your teeth into all that stuff afterwards as well. So I mean that's that's where I kind of you know went to the Wikipedia page 
uh, found out that critics actually did like it, which was surprising. It was also fun to learn that so I could correct you and make you look like a like an idiot um, yeah, at, at the top of the show. Oh, good. Um, just remember, if at first you don't succeed, just keep sticking your hand into holes. Because eventually, as Flash Gordon learned, um, you're going to get stung. Is there any better note to end the episode on than that? No, I think that's pretty good. I think that kind of ties it. I think it ties it all together. So, so I hope you, you like this. I did feel if if um, if I'm going to add some notes to our shared Google's doc, our shared Google Doc for next week. One thing you should know about Aaron is he is nine thousand years old. Yeah, and I like I like adding uh, s's to words. I just find it a fun thing to do in my spare time. I do feel like this was I, this was a very plot heavy movie, and it felt like we spent more time than in general I think we want to discussing the plot. But there's we skip so much stuff, and there's just so much to go through on this. Yeah, it's mostly as a we mostly were talking about the plot because it was a way to house our some of the insane shit that's going on that we wanted to comment on in context. And it's hard to break out of the very specific context, like the scene with the weird rape drug thing. <laughs> like, that that's better in context. Yeah, and I think besides, besides the more hard-to-digest parts of the movie, I think the rest of the movie we could have just spent going, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, just, honestly, I, I, bought, I bought the soundtrack the second the movie was over, and... The Blu-rays in my in my cart. Like, I, I fucking loved this movie. Awesome. Yeah, I loved it as well. So next week, we're going to be taking on <clears throat> a different movie that we've done. We're going to be taking on Roman Polanski's Repulsion, which was my suggestion. Because we'd like to, we'd like to approach genre movies that are both well-respected and not well-respected. And this one is a cult classic and is one of Polanski's more respected movies. And we want to uh, reapproach it to see if it stands up. Yeah, and we've we both never seen it before, um, which is which is kind of surprising because we're both big horror aficionados. And I, I really dug into Polanski, Knife in the Water, Rosemary's Baby, and somehow this has kind of been on my I-need-to-watch-this-list and it hasn't happened yet. So this was kind of the perfect time since both of us haven't seen it to discuss it. And I think that'll be an episode where we don't get bogged down in plot as much because it's a more we'll, – we'll get into it next week. Yeah. But, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to get into to and, that one. Uh, Roman Plansky's Repulsion will be our next episode. Yep. And then the following week, which I also think we can announce, is going to be another movie that may, may turn into just – Oh my god, this is fucking awesome, because now we're going to start uh, moving into some stuff that one of us has seen. Um, the movie we're going to be discussing is Life Force, which I have seen, and I'm on record as calling it the best thing ever created by humans, and Peter has not seen it. I have not seen it, and uh, we can kind of hold there, but uh, we've got some really fun stuff coming up in the future, I think, uh, a lot of fun topics and if you guys have any suggestions we'd love to take them on because we're sort of expanding what the format of the show is yeah so uh so i've been i've been aaron armstrong i will continue to be aaron armstrong and i have and always will be peter moran all right thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week Stay on. Let every breed of mongrel live together.
in peace. Will we ever get out of your hands? I don't know. But we'll try. We certainly invite you all to stay. What do you think? I'm a New York City girl. It's a little too quiet around here for me.